is Parent School, a podcast featuring marriage and family therapist, Polly Ely. I met Polly at one of her workshops in the Bay Area last year, and I loved her straightforward advice and simple tools that, with some practice at home, helped me feel a lot less stuck as a mom. I'm really excited to share her expertise with you through this podcast. My name is Rachel Templeton, and I'm an audio producer, and I wanted to produce this show because I have two small boys, and my family life is often, well, a challenge. At times, parenting and married life as an adult is a lot less straightforward than I thought it would be. At the heart of Polly's message is a call for relaxed parenting. Polly is all about helping parents and caregivers lead without losing their cool, helping them set boundaries in ways that protect the connection in families. In this first show, we're talking about technology and in particular, games. You hear a lot of recommendations about how much screen time we should allow our kids and at what age. But this show is really about how to talk with our kids about screen time and games while we stay connected and keep the whole interaction a lot calmer and more effective. Just one small note to keep in mind as you listen, Polly occasionally curses. So this show is really for adult ears only. Enjoy the show. So we're talking today about technology and really specifically because I think we could do many shows on technology. We're talking about games. What do parents really need to know, Polly, about the addictive nature of games like Minecraft and Fortnite? Well, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is the idea that at any given moment, there are thousands upon thousands of engineers working in the service of making sure that these games are being not just addictive, but progressively addictive. Like we're trying to grow the user's desire to play, not we, but actually engineers, are hard at work 24 hours a day on this. And I think one of the most important things for us to remember when we start to kind of become at odds with our kid, it can be so easy to begin to blame our kid for feeling what he feels in terms of feeling drawn in, even wanting to steal, lie, and cheat to play, we can sometimes make that a character logical issue that our kid has, as opposed to really remembering, wow, there is a massive army of engineers working on this so that my kid can be sucked in. For me, that conjures up a lot of compassion for my kid right out of the gate, as opposed to, wow, you're a thief or you're a liar or you cheated on how much time you're supposed to have or you're a sneak and that kind of thing as opposed to really holding that bigger context, which is, wow, this is really hard. And that's not their fault. There's nothing wrong with them when there's such an army and intense effort at making sure that they can't stop on time. I feel a greater compassion for our children that aren't stopping. How much do you recommend talking to kids about how these games are developed? The conversation itself is actually a really fascinating one, even to kids. They don't know the backstory of how these are being developed, but they're only interested if you can bring the conversation forward and have it without blame, shame, threats, punishment, and making the kid wrong for how they feel about the game. So I think that has to be your overarching goal as you're talking to your kid about the addictive nature of games is to really like 
not make them the object of your upset or make them the object of what you think is wrong here. Because really, they're doing exactly what they're programmed to do. (laughs) (laughs) So I come into the room and the timer has gone off. The kids have had their half hour of, um, you know, daily screen time and they're still doing it. You know, I give them a little bit of flexibility just to wrap up whatever level they're on. But sometimes I cannot get them to stop. My knee-jerk response is to have a consequence around that. Hmm. Well, I would say let's focus on setting up the situation for more success rather than walking right into the same tangle that we know is sort of predictably going to happen, which is putting it down is really hard. I think there's a couple of things we can do to help make putting it down a little less hard. One of them is just right before or before we start or they start playing is reminding them how hard it's going to be when we get to the end. I actually want to prime their brain to remember there's a really hard part coming. And at the end of this 30 minutes, it's going to be one of the worst parts of the whole thing for you. Do you remember what it feels like to turn it off, to put it down, or that moment when you're like right in the middle of the game, it couldn't get any better, and mom says, 30 minutes is up. What's that feel like to you? I want them to actually remember how hard that moment is, and I want to talk about it before we even begin. That's sort of part one. I prepare them for the disappointment, that the crack pipe, if you will, is going away, and it's going to be hard. That does two things. One, it gets them ready, but it also gets me ready because I don't want to act super surprised when I come in and find out that it's hard to put it down. I can come in and be mad at them that it's hard to put it down, or I could come in and be compassionate and say, you know what? This is hard, dude, but we're going to put it down and you're going to be super disappointed and I'm prepared for the upset. I like to get a little bit more behavioral here and I actually have us do a rehearsal for turning it off before we turn it on. And I just have them run through the process of turning it on and then me saying time's up and then they turn it off. I actually want their brain and their body to remember what it feels like to turn it off before we start. And that just helps prep them. It's like there's something so intensely compelling about getting started that even if you say to them, now just remember, it's going to be 30 minutes and I'm going to come in, blah, blah, blah. They are so salivating for the treat that they can't even hear you. They'll say anything just to get to it. So for that reason, I'm actually going to pause. I'm going to put a boundary right here before we start. And I'm going to say, let's walk through what it's going to be like in 30 minutes. Show me that you know how to turn it off. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And then part three is who's going to set a timer on your end. And I make sure that they're setting one and I'm going to set one too. So that there's no like equivocating over whether 30 minutes actually occurred. In some cases, I even recommend that people give a three or five minute buffer at the end of 30 minutes just to respect the fact that they do need to close the game. Closing the game is a thing. They want to retain whatever gains they've made or save their game. And I tend to offer either five or even on a generous day, 10 minutes to close and save what they've done. I think there's a powerful conversation you can be having about things that draw you in and have an addictive quality. And frankly, in the world we live in today, I start having that conversation with little kids from four years old on. And the way I do it is I use myself as an example. I'll talk about the things that lift me up or make me feel sort of high inside 
in a short-term way, and we'll talk together about how long does that lift last? When does it kind of wear off? When is too much of something for me? And I'll ask them to think about it too for them. Do you have anything that lifts you up? And they'll talk about games. Yeah, games get me so fired up. How long does the fired upness last for you is what I want to ask them. Mm. And see if they can study, well, does it last for 10 minutes afterward? Or does it last for two hours? Or does it last all day? Do they stay feeling like lifted up? And when do they crash? Because with every lift, there's a bit of a crash afterward. So I talk about my own little coffee lift I get in the morning. I feel jacked for two hours. I feel better. I feel lighter. I feel directed. I like it. And then somewhere about two hours after I finish that cup, I'm not in that same zone. So I always use myself as an example, and I encourage parents to do it too, because we can't have a conversation with anyone if it's a conversation about them and their problem. I've got a problem with my phone on certain days. I've got a problem with wanting ice cream on certain days. My goal is to start a conversation with my kid about what is it that we seek to lift us up? How long does the lift last? And when does it start to actually be not helpful? I, in my case with my son, said, I noticed that after about an hour and a half of you being in front of a screen, that you start to act a little different. Do you notice that too? And really when the judgment wasn't there or the punishment of consequences, he started to say, I do notice it a little bit. I said, well, what do you notice? And he said, I think I'm a little crankier. (laughs) This was like the sweetest thing for me to hear because he was a jackass after he played for more than 90 minutes. But he had a little bit of an ability to start to self-reflect or be self-aware of his own mood changes. And so... I'd say there's no harm here in admitting that. I have my mood changes that come from me watching too much TV or being on the internet for too long. But in order for this to be a safe conversation, I've got to talk about my addictions and my compulsions too. The world is awash in opportunities to use anything compulsively. And so the earlier you can start a conversation with your children that's honest, that includes you and where you fumble and stumble and take too much of anything. You're having an even-handed, really rich conversation about addiction, and you're starting it at age three or four, which, by the way, is necessary for people to really understand. If I'm going to understand the effect of something on me, I have to both be able to acknowledge what's positive about it, what I like, what it feels good, and also when it starts to hurt me. So let me ask you the worst-case scenario. If a kid just can't stop, even if they know they don't feel good when they use it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they feel like their social life is online. And I know that's a reality of Mm -hmm. many adolescent children today. What do you do when kids really get into a tough spot and just can't quit? Can't quit. Like they're so out of balance. I mean, this is a bit of a values question. In my world, when somebody gets that out of balance, we're going to agree that we've gotten into problemlandia here with this, that something isn't working. And usually it's evident to everyone because even if they're really happy with the way it's going, we're having a lot more fighting going on at home. I'm after them a lot about what they're doing. And it's just starting to feel really bad inside for me and likely for them too on some level. So I think you can 
potentially get agreement that on some level, this is unfeeling quite right. Now, a kid who's fully addicted with something or an adult who's fully addicted with something and is still getting high off of it is really likely not to admit that there's any negatives associated with it at all. So I'm not going to try to hammer that one home, but I'm going to say, for me, this is really not feeling good. And so for that reason, I'm going to remove all of it until we can sit down and re-agree. Now, if there's two people in the home, if we can sit down and unify in what we feel are appropriate boundaries and time limits on this, and then present it as a unified front to my kids while all of the technology is removed, that's actually a really fine time to reset. Families need to reset with technology and with screens and especially with games again and again. And there's a lot of ways to do it. But one of them is when we've reached a point, and I write this in my own agreement with my children, whenever we reach a point where we feel like we've gotten out of balance, it will stop and we'll take it away and we will re-agree on new terms and we will reset new terms to our agreement so that you can use this in a balanced way. So why don't you introduce what a family media plan can look like. How do we start talking about it with our kids and how do we develop it and how do we approach it as a living, changing document? I love the word living, changing, because really, I mean, the only documents I had ever signed by the time I got to parenthood was like, I think I signed a mortgage document, which I didn't even read. (laughs) I can't remember what other agreement I may have signed. I was just never really trained to have a really solid respect for what I was signing on to. I don't think very many tech agreements among families have been co-authored by kids and parents together. I think in general, somebody downloaded something off the internet. They said, this is what you have to sign in order to be able to play. The kid's salivating, the drool's falling down the mouth. They want to get the game and they'll sign anything. And they have no idea what it is they're signing or agreeing to. And Part of that is that they're little, (laughs) they're seven, they just want to play the damn game. So what we do and redo, and I'll just say, you know, in our house and what I really propose that everybody do is begin to cultivate an agreement that is a current agreement, one based on the kind of playing your kids want to do today. We have to sort of start with just where we're at, like what is the right amount of time? What kinds of things do you need to be doing in your life in order to even earn a minute of time on your game? That might be that you go to school every day on time, that you complete your homework assignments. And when you're not clearing those basic hurdles, you can plan on not having any access to your games at all. I think a lot of kids don't have basic minimum requirements that they have to be living up to in order to even gain access to the game. So that's built into my agreement. Other agreement bullet points are that we address what's going to happen when you forget, because I know you're going to forget. I know you're going to probably lie, cheat, and steal a little bit to get at this, and I know why, because I would too. I wasn't ever a kid who had to learn how to do this, and I have empathy for you and compassion for the fact that you have to learn how to turn off the world's most addictive substance when your mom says so. That's hard stuff. Inside of our agreement, we're going to talk about what we're going to do when it gets super bumpy. And that includes if you forget how to turn it off, or let's say you throw the game controller at me because you're pissed about it, let's agree on what's going to happen when you do that. 
And frankly, Rachel, it's kind of amazing when you co-author these agreements with your kids, they will sit there and be like, I think I shouldn't be able to play for a week if I throw something at your head or at your body. And I'm like, wow, there's a level-headedness and actually kind of a reasoning that's mind-blowing that comes from them when they feel respected enough to be included in the writing of an agreement. And P.S., I also write in the agreement as a bullet, when you forget and we do have a break from technology or from games because of whatever transgression there is, we will always come back to this agreement and review it in full before there's even any talk of coming back to gaming. It's not particularly pleasant to review agreements and rewrite them again and again and again, but it is the way you keep the document alive and breathing At the same time, you're really teaching the kids about how to have integrity over time, that these are my words and I've put my name on this and I care about what I'm signing and I'm willing to try to uphold it, even though I'm going to fail miserably with that. What's the youngest age you could do a media plan with a child? As soon as language is available, you can write the simplest agreement, even if they don't know the days of the week. You can say, after dinner, you get a chance to watch a show, or after dinner, you get to play a game for when the timer says 30 minutes. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways you can language this so that your kid understands it, but I like to fairly warn parents, most kids really don't have a good handle on time. When you say 30 minutes and they say, yeah, they don't know what the hell they're agreeing to. A lot of them, and some of them do, but 30 minutes passes really fast when you're consuming an addictive substance. So for them to say, that wasn't 30 minutes, we, that, no, that is a really natural response to feeling like somebody's about to take away something that you feel really, really plugged into. For that reason, I would just say exercise the option to have compassion and know that time gets really distorted around addiction. I'm using that word loosely. Not all kids are addicted, but they're either using it compulsively, impulsively, or just in sort of like a I can't get enough kind of way. Parents are worried about violence in games. How do you recommend approaching that and talking to kids about that? I love this question. And I think back to many moments in my own life. I would pass through a room where my kid was playing a game and I saw that he was shooting people. And my stomach would turn and churn and I would wince and kind of grimace inside and usually say something sort of snide about it. I realized at a certain point, this is my home and I needed to look at my own value set around whether or not it felt okay to me to walk through my own living room and see human beings get shot. Now, I know there's a bias in what I'm saying and I don't judge anyone who's like, you know what, it's all right with me. I'm just saying that if your kid is playing something that has a content that makes you either sweat or cringe or want to crumple up, pay attention to that. Let whatever value inside you guide how you run your household. If you feel inclined, you're allowed to say, you know what? This hurts my heart. I can't watch you do this. And there's a reason for that. One is I really value human life and caring about people. And for me, when I watch you shooting at people, even though it's pretend, it hurts me a little. So for that reason, I decided at a certain point that anything that would even mimic harm to another human being or another living being wouldn't be allowed in our house. 
And I've had the powerful experience of hearing from parents who said, you're giving me that permission meant so much. It meant that no games that were violent would come in. And we feel like we got a huge free pass by deciding early that that was part of our value set. So as you look at what your kids are playing, I say, pay close attention. If your Tommy turns when you see what's going on, that's a sign that it might be time for you to reset. From that point on, Rachel, I said, I'm so down with you playing like basketball, car racing. Like there were so many fun, hilarious adventure games that they could play and I could totally get into it with them. But I could never really make peace with the idea of making violence. I think a lot of parents listening might be thinking, but there has to be discipline. There has has to be consequences. (laughs) Right. So what do you say to those? Yeah, I totally respect that. And bake them into your agreement. Talk them through with your kids. So if you forget, and notice I use the word forget, I think it's a really kind word rather than if you lie, if you'd sneak. If you forget how to use this in a responsible way or in a way that matches our agreement, then I'm going to remove it for and then you and your partner decide for X amount of days. Or I just recently worked with a family who said it's gone until the next week. So for them, they just reset on the next week. And I think that's a fair way to go. Like we're not wiping the slate clean and taking all the things away. And in very short order, we would have nothing left to take away if we were taking things away. Now, every time they messed up with technology, but If we say, we're going to try this again, and I'm going to stay with you while you learn how to honor your agreement. In fact, I'm not going to give up on you. And we can take as much time as we need to learn this. We're in this together. You are uniquely in a situation that's really difficult. So I'm in it with you to learn how to do this and respect the agreement you've made. Polly, is it ever too late? What do parents do when they have older children and they've just had the same system for years? Oh my gosh, this is such a wonderful question. And I hear it again and again. I feel like the headline is it's really never too late to say, boy, we let this horse out of the barn without any information about how we wanted it. I mean, I had to kind of go to my kids and own my part, which was they were part of the very first iPhone generation. And we were psyched to give them iPhones. I was excited to hand this white box of fun, and I didn't know what I was giving them. We gave it to them with no limits, with no understanding. And, you know, frankly, I have full compassion for us. We really did not know what we were giving until we gave it. The train had left the station. The shit was all over the place. Like, it was just a mess within months, obviously, as it is for many. And we had to reel it back in and say, gosh, whoa, we skipped a major step here. I realized that I gave you all that firepower in a computer or all that gaming potential, and I forgot to give you some limits. I forgot to say what I expected of you. I forgot to tell you what happened if you forgot how to uphold the rules. I forgot to talk to my partner about it. We forgot to get clear on how we were going to hold a unified front and what our rules were going to be. Like, we skipped so many steps. And for that reason, I'm sorry. I want to make a repair with you, kid, because I've been just hammering on you. I came into this without really a whole lot of leadership here at all. And I think that's really leveling, frankly, Rachel. I mean, they end up bearing the brunt of our anger, our frustration, all of my anger at Apple and all the 
companies that created this can easily get funneled into an interaction with my kid, which isn't fair. They're not the ones who created this. They're just the ones enjoying it. So what I would say, again, is it's not really ever too late to say, I don't think I unrolled or unfurled this in the right way. I'm going to pause and we're going to get something in place that helps us love each other better and take better care of each other around gaming. I didn't realize I can get really snarky with you and I bet it feels hard for you and terrible for you. And I'll bet you when I give you those dirty looks about games or I tell you how addictive they are, or I lecture you incessantly about them, I bet it doesn't feel great. Does it? And then I'm going to listen because they have actually a lot to say about it. Yeah. They say things like, yeah, I have no idea what you want from me about these. It seems like one day you want to give it to me for 30 minutes. The next day you're mad at me and you take it away for a week. And the next day after that, you're giving it back because you don't feel like dealing with my begging. I've been all over the map (laughs) is what we can say to our kids. And we have to own part of that. I've been inconsistent. I set no limits. I've been all over the map. I've laid out consequences that I couldn't uphold. Yeah, no wonder you're confused. So let's reset. And in the meantime, I'm going to remove the games and I'm going to learn how to tolerate the tantrum that comes with that because I know you're going to have some big ass feelings about this. I'm not going to say the ass part to my kids, but I'm just saying them to you. (laughs) You're going to have really big feelings and you're allowed. This is a really big, big deal to you. At that point, I'm going to remove everything. And if I'm with a partner, we're going to really square up on what are the rules. Once we get clear with our agreement that we want, we'll bring it to the kids and then we'll let them author some of it, even negotiate. Sometimes kids will be like, I don't think that the consequence you gave me is harsh enough. They're wildly like self-governing if you give them a chance. Thanks for listening to Parent School with Polly Ely. You can download a free technology agreement for your family at Polly's website, thelabmethod.com. Just go to the link titled Free Resources. We'd also love for you to get in touch with your own parenting challenges and to let us know what you think of the show. You can do that at parentschoolpodcast.com. I'm Rachel Templeton. Thanks again for joining us at Parent School.